Uh, if it's okay, I'll, I'll speak from here. I'm, I don't have a, a PowerPoint presentation. Um, so, as, as Keith said, um, I'm speaking particularly from the experience of having worked as a negotiations advisor for the Syrian Opposition National Coalition, provided by the UK as an advisor, uh, leading up to and after the 2014 Geneva II negotiations. And my background is as a, an academic research in international relations and conflict resolution, and, and then practical work as a consultant for uh, UN country teams in, in the Middle East and Horn of Africa and for conflict resolution and peace building organizations. Do you think you could hold the mic? Sorry, yes. Is this, is, okay. Okay, let's see how this goes. Um, so in my presentation, I'm going to try and give some insight into the practical side of conflict resolution and peacemaking and offer some reflections about the uh, relationship between academic and practical work on peace. When a war such as the Syrian war has run for five years and caused so much harm and destruction and has had major regional and international repercussions, it's reasonable to ask what has been done to try to end the war. Um, over five years, there is quite a full timeline of talks, negotiations, and efforts towards the objective of, of ending the war by peaceful means. That timeline is also complex. Um, my own personal experience was in one particular period, 2013-14. But before I go into that, I'm just going to run through some sort of notable points during the five years from 2011 to now from the start of the uprising in Syria um, through to the present situation um, of the cessation or partial cessation of hostilities. Significant points over those five years have included the following. In March 2012, a six-point peace plan for Syria launched by the UN and the Arab League, which rapidly failed. That was produced during the period in which Kofi Annan was uh, the joint UN and Arab League special representative for, for Syria. The second product in that time during Kofi Annan's period was the June 2012 Geneva communique, um, which has been the most lasting and most significant single document for prospects for peaceful resolution of, of, of the war. That was a, a document called the Geneva Communique agreed by what was then referred to as an international action group on Syria, which brought together representation from the uh, UN, the League of Arab States, Russia, uh, the United States, the EU, um, all the key international actors, but not Iran. And that communique specified 
as a goal, a political agreement which would deliver a transition which, quoting from the communique, offers a perspective for the future that can be shared by all in Syria, establishes clear steps according to a firm timetable towards the realization of that perspective, um, can be implemented, implemented in a climate of safety for all, stability and calm, and is reached rapidly without further bloodshed and violence and is credible. So that was the Geneva communique in June 2012, which, as I said, has proved to be the most lasting single internationally agreed document for the, uh, for the cause of resolving the war by peaceful means. But if we go through what happened in the nearly four years after that, we can see, in a way, how little has been built on top of the Geneva communique. In mid-2013, during the time in which Lakhda Brahimi was the uh, following, sort of the new UN-Arab League joint envoy for Syria, in mid-2013, when the idea of a uh, second Geneva event or talks was being fostered but hadn't been committed to in August 2013 to be exact there was the chemical weapons attack in Ruta Damascus and in the uh, days and weeks after that there was a rapid series of events for example in Britain the, U the parliament here voting against airstrikes in Syria the United States' decision not to take military action against Syria, that red lines uh, issue, um, and the Russia-United States agreement on chemical weapons for Syria. That significantly affected the, uh, the, the environment and willingness to, to, to bring about a second round of uh, Geneva talks or a Geneva event. But nonetheless, in November 2013, the UN Secretary General and Nakhda Brahimi felt conditions were good enough and invited the Syrian government and the principal, most organized sort of voice for Syrian opposition, which was the, uh, what was, is called the Syrian National Coalition, invited them to an international conference and two-party negotiations in Switzerland in January 2014. Moving on through the points in the timeline that I want to take you through, then in Jan January 2014, there was a flurry of movement when, at the last minute, Iran was disinvited from that uh, conference. On the 20th of January, 48 hours before the <coughs> an international conference for Syria was due to open just 48 hours before the Syrian opposition coalition narrowly voted to attend. Um, and then the conference was held on the 22nd of January and two days later negotiations, as they were called, started between, um, between the national coalition and the Syrian government delegation. Um, that led to two rounds of talks in Geneva. They were face-to-face -face talks, uh, but the parties didn't talk to each other. They were in the same room, but they talked through the, 
the mediator, the lead mediator, Lakhda Brahimi. When those talks ground to a halt, May 2014, Lakhda Brahimi resigned nearly after nearly two years in the post. June 2014 was the presidential election in Syria and Assad's re-election. Um, July 2014, a new special envoy appointed Stefan de Mistura, who then, during the following 12 months, deliberately took a, or tried to pursue a different approaches to seeking a, a peaceful end to the conflict. Firstly, exploring the scope for uh, a bottom-up approach by fostering or encouraging the fostering of local ceasefires in the country and encouraging an idea of freeze zones, as they, as they were called. And then as that first approach failed to yield much fruit or gain gain much ground, uh, he shifted, the mediator shifted to a process of uh, conducting separate consultations during 2015, leading eventually in late 2015 to uh, a commitment um, after a push by Russia in the United States and the Security Council, UN Security Council, leading to a commitment to high-level proximity talks um, in early 2016, early this year. Those talks which began in late January this year um, have been called, uh, usually by the United Nations, the intra-Syrian talks, um, and they've been held again in Geneva. Uh, they, they haven't been called negotiations. They're, they are proximity talks. These are small differences, but they are uh, significant and the parties haven't been meeting in the same room and the talks have been uh, icy and fractious and disrupted uh, the f when they were first convened you may remember in late January early February the the mediator Stefan de Mistura had to uh, suspend them after barely four or five days because of an int in the intensification in fighting on the ground in Syria that led, that suspension and shuttle diplomacy led to um, the move by Russia and the United States as co-chairs of the, what is, is now and since last year has been called the International Syria Support Group. It led to their, um, uh, their brokering a cessation of hostilities. So, Looking back over that timeline for four to five years of uh, some talk, some efforts, some negotiations, in some ways one could say quite a lot was tried. But when one looks at the war itself, there's also very little to show for it. Some observations I can make about the 2013-14 Geneva II talks that sort of from a what does it look like as a as an advisor trying to work with parties uh, to a negotiation three things sort of stand out from my experience at that time firstly the the roller coaster path that led to the geneva two talks in in 2014 and there has been a similar roller coaster in the 
convening of reconvening of high-level talks this year. Then in 2013-14, there was the challenge of getting a Syrian opposition interlocutor, the National Coalition, just to accept to go to talks. And then the challenge of, with other advisors and international support from peace-building organizations, and um, the challenge of trying to help a, uh, a negotiating, pa negotiating party be ready and competent to negotiate. There was also the challenge, I remember, of the internal politics of, a, of the Syrian National Co Opposition Coalition, which was subject to internal processes and rivalries, uh, a great contrast. Well, it, it had its own leadership election process where a new leader for the Syrian National Opposition Coalition would be selected or had to be elected or re-elected every six months. Um, and was it the organization, the coalition, was subject to uh, external factors, pressures, and influence-seeking pressures from uh, Gulf and Saudi backers. Another thing I remember strongly from, from working and trying to uh, f encourage and facilitate and bring about uh, particip constructive participation in negotiations uh, were the individual challenges, the challenges of building trust and acceptance with uh, figures who are going to be part of a negotiation, um, the challenge of encouraging people to see negotiations as worth pursuing, uh, even when uh, the odds uh, seem stacked against uh, progress. Um, and I also remember the, the challenge of building people's understandings about what negotiated settlements to conflicts look like, what they comprise. Um, they're from within academia, if, if you work in, if you do research in, uh, about civil wars and the resolution of armed conflicts, you're familiar or you become familiar with uh, what negotiated settlements look like. But out in the practical, in, 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 in real life, where parties are going to negotiations, they're generally they're not familiar. They, don't, they, they haven't had the benefit of, uh, of studying and uh, knowing what the Dayton Agreement looked like, what a Cambodia-Paris Agreement looked like. They haven't had the experience of and the benefits of learning from, uh, from different uh, peace settlement experiences. So an overall reflection for me of the Geneva II uh, process in 2013-14 um, is that bringing parties to negotiations and to a negotiating room can be so delicate, so difficult. And as we've seen for Lakta Brahimi, the UN chief mediator then, and, and for the uh, mediator now, it's a basic challenge, uh, it's a very difficult challenge to encourage a party to enter negotiations and stay in the room, even to uh, talk directly to each other. And a second lasting reflection I have from about the Geneva II story um, in 2013-14 was 
that it was subject, I remember so strongly how it was subject to very low expectations in international media, among Syrians, among participants. And as if you choose to support efforts to pursue a, a peaceful settlement of conflict, you have to, I think, feel that low expectations shouldn't deter efforts, especially when the costs of conflict, such as in Syria, are so high. Looking more broadly over the past five years, three observations I'd make about peacemaking efforts are these. Firstly, the international context for efforts to peacefully resolve uh, the Syrian conflict, the international context has generally been more impeding than aiding. The events, which I haven't mentioned, the, 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 that timeline 2012 to 2016 was full of events which had complicated the international diplomacy over Syria. The annexation of Crimea by Russia in March 2014 and the uh, ensuing Ukraine crisis and the deterioration in Russian-US relations. The escalation in the um, uh, civil war in Iraq in 2014 with the Islamic State group uh, taking over Mosul, the intensification of the war there and the deepening in proxy enmity in the region between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And another factor in this period were the negotiations with Iran over its nuclear program and sanctions, culminating in the 2015 agreement. Um, in mid-2014, when Lakhtar Brahimi stepped down from his position as special envoy for Syria, in an interview with um, a German newspaper, he was asked oh, that it had been reported or that Saudi Arabia had refused to meet with him, at least at times, while he was special envoy doing all the shuttle diplomacy um, for, for Syria, trying to bring about the Geneva II talks. And Lakhtar Brahimi confirmed, he was able to, having stepped down from his position, then he confirmed publicly that yes, that was a fact. And, uh, he thought that Saudi Arabia hadn't liked what he was saying about a peaceful and negotiated settlement with concessions from both sides. So a question now, when one looks at the international context uh, for, uh, for Syria, uh, one question is, is Saudi Arabia moving towards being more favorable to a future negotiated settlement? And Iran and Turkey? A second observation about the long sweep of the five years of the Syrian conflict and peacemaking efforts is the contrast between levels of international mobilization about Syria um, and some other conflicts. For example, um, I think a lot about Sudan because I've worked a lot on Sudan. I did my research in the preceding years. International mobilization over the Darfur conflict after 2003 was very substantial and it had an impact on politicians and diplomats and what they sought at the UN Security Council, in other forums and bilaterally. That conflict, Darfur, 
very rapidly gained the label the world's largest humanitarian crisis. There were the Save Darfur uh, advocacy movement and campaign and other initiatives. Undoubtedly, there were problematic aspects to such labeling and campaigning, aspects which one can criticize. But the formal international responses to the Darfur conflict were greater and swifter than those in response to Syria. The Security Council resolutions, the, an AU African Union peacekeeping mission leading to a, uh, a joint AU UN peacekeeping mission, they came swiftly for, for Darfur and a push for negotiations as well. Although those negotiations, of course, also, or well not of course, but those negotiations also have had limited success, negotiations for Darfur. All of that didn't end the conflict there in Darfur, but it did help to de-escalate, contain, and prevent worse. In comparison, in Syria, cross-lines aid, a UN Security Council resolution for that, was only achieved after three years. There's the monitoring arrangements and inf uh, are very little, very weak. There is still no multilateral observer mission for, for example, the, the, the nascent or moribund cessation of hostilities now. The first airdrops of aid in Syria were, were only this year, in 2016. Aspects of the international responses to the conflict in Bosnia and Bosnia-Herzegovina also perhaps look favorable. Aspects of the international mobilization and the speed of responses, they perhaps look favorable in comparison with the speed of, or the, the, the slowness of response to constructive responses to the Syrian conflict. So perhaps, I don't know, perhaps has there been a missed opportunity for more international and public mobilization uh, and advocacy about the Syrian conflict. And the third observation about the long, the five, past five years is, as I said at the beginning, that the Geneva communique, that remains the sole internationally agreed framework um, for uh, a negotiated settlement. And it was, has been reconfirmed, and its endorsement has been reconfirmed by the latest Security Council resolutions and by the, the current International Syria Support Group. So it looks like this and the efforts to resolve the war in Syria are slowly still heading towards an accumulating set of commitments and agreements and eventual negotiations. Will it lead at some point in the future to a, a comprehensive agreement or a shorter partial agreement with the kinds of elements which lead to implementation of agreements, such as implementation timetables, robust international peace implementation and support mechanisms, um, such as, <coughs> for example, in uh, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, the uh, NATO I-4 implementation, peace implementation force. All of such mechanisms, let alone a negotiated agreement are so far off still at the moment that it seems almost strange to talk of, but we're five years into the conflict. 
So to conclude, what observations can I make about sort of looking at the subject of the conference today here? Um, in my pieces of work on Syria, I sometimes looked at uh, looked to towards current academic literature and and asked, oh, where where is the current conflict and peace studies research that is focused on Syria? Um, and sometimes I'm disappointed. I look at journals such as the Journal of Conflict Resolution and Peace Research, and I'm struck by how little uh, research there is engaging with um, questions of the past five years and uh, efforts to, uh, to seek a negotiated end to the civil war in Syria. Secondly, one comment I would make apropos the subject of the conference today is that uh, I, I think studying peace and studying conflict are not the same. In Syria, external analysis and fo analytical focus on, on studying the conflict has been sort of distorted by a focus on the Islamic State group. And it has been good that recently there's some counter to that, for example, from the UK-based uh, advocacy initiative called the Syria Campaign, which, amongst other things, tries to counter misperceptions of the conflict um, by reminding, for example, reminding people or drawing attention to uh, where responsibility lies for the, for the large majority, the overwhelming majority of casualties and harm in the conflict. But meanwhile, I think there has been a shortage of research and analysis about peace itself and what it would take to reach a stable peace in Syria. I feel there should have been more such research and there still can be. And, a la and lastly, a comment, when one looks at the situation on the ground in Syria, there's, there's so little to, to, to uh, there's very little that's positive still. Sieges, massacres, violence, indiscriminate bombing, aid organizations being blocked from delivering aid to some besieged areas, such as the ICRC and UN convoy prevented this week from entering uh, one besieged place, Daraya, in Damascus, and the airstrike on a, an IDP camp uh, in Idlib last week. And the regional refugee crisis continues, even if the number of uh, refugees crossing from Turkey into Europe has dropped because of uh, the Turkey-EU agreement. So to close, and in response to one of the questions underlying today's conference, I don't know for sure whether it's possible to make more intellectual bridges between the study of conflict and the study and practice of peacemaking and peacebuilding, but I certainly wish more bridges could be made, and I believe it's worth trying. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you very much.